morning again. Small stage, we have to be patient. How's everybody doing? We haven't talked in almost seven minutes. That was a joke. I've used all my good jokes for the announcements. Alright, so um, I'm excited about today. Today is uh, our last day in the study of Genesis. We're going to close out in Genesis 22. If you want to turn uh, your Bibles there, we're going to jump in there in a little bit. Um, I want to bring to your attention just some stuff to be mindful for. I know normally you're thinking, hey, you don't do announcements and preach. That's not what we do. Usually you have a trade-off system with Jamin Houghton. And uh, so Jamin and his wife have taken a much-deserved and needed uh, vacation. They've spent the better part of two weeks in Europe, and they are traveling back this week. So pray for them as they travel. I've made the joke uh, numerous times to people in this room that, like, if you're um, supposedly the lead pastor, but you miss a Sunday and really everything just goes as smooth as it possibly could, but Jamin takes off two Sundays and this place almost burns, are you actually in charge? So I am really looking forward to Jamie getting back. Uh, Jamie gave me an email of all the stuff he does uh, while he was gone. I didn't even know we did half of it. I didn't know, uh, like, we vacuumed this floor every Sunday. That happens. That's a thing that this church does for the betterment of our worship. So I'm thankful for his work. I'm thankful for his needed rest and Sabbath. We have a lot of people traveling. So uh, they're in Europe, and they're traveling back this week. Our worship uh, band, The Dishes, they're in Europe, and they're traveling back. We have the Stevens in, in Canada right now, and they are traveling back. And the Leeches just got back from Canada as well. So we've had a lot of people take the, the travel seriously, and I want us to always be... Uh, prayerful when people travel and when they move, and I'm thankful for the opportunity y'all y'all have for a vacation, and I'm also just thankful for uh, the rest and reset that that summer can bring. Summer is a big time uh, for Trinity Church for a lot of reasons. Um, some of what we've already mentioned, we're going to take an emphasis on prayer in June. We're going we're gonna to have five sermon uh, series weeks uh, where we focus on corporate prayer. Uh, on Monday nights, the women's Bible study uh, has also turned into a time where they're just going to get together Monday nights at 7 and, and intentionally pray uh, for this church, pray for the family, pray for, their, for every uh, husband and child and, and just the people locally if they're going to intentionally pray. And we're going we're gonna to join them in... Uh, uh, that intentionality and that specific time where we say we understand the, the, the yearning and the desire to commune with our sovereign God. We understand the necessity uh, for us to, to daily and weekly uh, commune with a God that created us and sustained us. But also, uh, the summer at Trinity Church is a big time of planning and prayer for the staff and the board. The summer is when we get together and we kind of plan out the next calendar year, what we're going to teach, what we're going to study, how we're going to govern, how we're going to uh, play out family groups, how we're going to get together and worship. All of those things kind of happen in the summer. It's one of the reasons we push pause on some of our, our weekly ministry so it gives the staff time to step away and kind of just reflect and pray, see what, what worked, what we could do better, what we uh, need to move on from. And that's going to happen this summer. So I, I ask that you would pray for your staff. I ask that you would pray for your board um, as they make some decisions uh, that they earnestly uh, impact uh, the, the future of this church and that we always want to be inside the will of God. We don't want to do anything outside of the will of God. We want everything that this church does to bring glory to God. Everything that we do um, 
to grow His church and to make His name known that we would become less, that He would become more inside the city of Oak Cliff, inside the state of Texas, and just be um, the church that this city needs. There's a lot going on. I don't have time uh, to, to hit the highlights of the newsreel each week that I preach, but there's a lot of just hurting going on in America. There's a lot of hurting and, and division and strife in the world today, and the answer is nothing other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I pray that we always point to that. I know that it is hard to get on social media or have a conversation at work where you're not hit with some polarizing thought, where you're not hit with, this is what we feel about immigration, this is what we feel about abortion, this is what we feel about the political party we, we, we uh, attribute ourselves to or the political, political party we don't. Either way, there's some polarizing act in your life every day. And I never want to be a pastor that overly steps into pop culture, but I also don't ever want to be a leader that shies away from truth. And the answer to all the polarizing uh, questions of, of your day and your week are found in the Word of God. It will direct you. It is our blueprint. It is what sustains us. And it is what drives us forward in truth. And I pray that we always, we always find ourselves in truth. It's why we study the way we do. It's, the way, it's why we, we dive into a passage and we kind of just try to, to camp there. We try to just hang out there for a day so we can pull everything that we can out of that passage. So we, can, we allow time for the Spirit to move inside of the Word of God so it fills us up with hope and joy and truth for the week to come. There's also uh, a time that we always need to stop and give thanks. We are closing out a series, and, and I'm thankful to be closing out that series, not because I want to get out of Genesis, but because I'm just thankful for the provision of a, thank, of a faithful God who's allowed us to plan to study His Word, who has seen us through a study of that Word, and has helped us close out the study of that Word as we move on to the next study. This church has been faithful to exegetical studies of God's Word. We first started in James, we moved on to Mark, then we moved on to Colossians, and now we find ourselves in Genesis. We're going to take some time and focus on prayer in June. The rest of the summer is going to be made up of individual teachings on parables of Christ. And then in the fall, we're going to dive in to the book of Hebrews. And those are all plans made for the hope and the glory of God to be shown through His Word. But I am thankful because there are times that we've been eking along while we were in Mark and James where I wasn't sure we were going to see the end of them. But because of the faithful people in this room, because of the faithful God we call King, we've been able to continue as Trinity Church. So I want to celebrate that. I want to celebrate the people in this room who continually show up and say, God, use me. God, I answer your call. God, I am faithful to the next step. I'm thankful that we have fought for the right to continue to fight. And I'm thankful for the opportunity we have to plan. That is something I do not take for granted as the, as the pastor of this church because there has been times when I didn't know if planning was a waste of time. And now I know that planning is something that God has provided for us that we can see and continue to thrive at God's holy church. All right, now we've got to get into Genesis because there's a time crunch. I talked a lot longer than I should have about just hope and joy. But Genesis recap. Good news is Genesis Recap is also about hope and joy. There's a lot of things that we unpack in Genesis. There's a lot of really strong biblical Christian doctrines that we have to understand. It's why we picked Genesis. It's my hope that no matter what we pick, you see the Bible as a fluid story of redemption of Jesus Christ. That you never see them as individual choppy stories that you, that you learned on flannel graph in Sunday school, but that you see the beauty of God's linear word, the gods of His redemptive work. It's a fluid story either pointing to Christ, what He 
he's going to do, what Christ did, or what Christ will do again. The whole Bible points to a Messiah. And the reason I wanted us to understand that, and that's the reason we started in the beginning of Genesis. Because there's some beautiful doctrine in the first chapters of Genesis that, that impart how we live our life as Christians. We first learned that God created everything from nothing. We, we serve a God who spoke everything into being. We, spoke, we serve a sovereign God that holds our universe in His hands. He, he created everything. He, we are part of that creation. We see that man was created in the image of God, which is a huge fact that we forget every day. When we treat someone um, uh, with uh, uh, meanness or, or we, we are short with people or we, we view people to be less than us because of the color of their skin, uh, their nationality, uh, their gender, whatever reason there is the world decides to put some kind of higher value on another person it is completely wrong and we know it to be wrong because of the Imago Dei doctrine, the fact that every human being from conception was made in the image of God. It's a beautiful doctrine that we have to wear proudly because any kind of supremacy out there that says this person or this thing is better uh, because of a, of a trait or, or, or a, a skin color or just an idea flies in the face of Imago Dei. And we know Imago Dei is what determines who we are and how we live. We know that when I, when I look and talk to someone, I am talking to someone made in the image of God and I have to treat them accordingly. We also see in Genesis that man sinned. We are separated from God. We are exiled from the garden that God created a perfect place, the Garden of Eden. And because of man's choice, because of sin, and because of the separation from God, we have been exiled from the garden. We talk about it a lot, but we're walking around in exile right now. There's a yearning inside of us that will never be whole this side of, of heaven because we yearn to walk in the garden, but we're walking in exile. And everything we do and everything Christ did is to get us one step closer to the garden. My, my daughter loves Genesis recap. She's going to get real hype. So we also saw how fast sin spread. We saw from, from the choice to eat from a, from a tree uh, of good and evil, from the tree of knowledge, from that choice, how quick it became the Tower of Babel, how quick it became uh, the earth getting flooded, and then how quick it came that Christ or God continued to have faith in man, he continued to say, I know that I will find the faithful. He found Abram and Sarah, and they turned into Abraham and Sarah, and he had covenants, and, and there were still missteps, and there was still sin, and there was still idolatry. Sarah still put her desire before the will of God and for the plan of God, and thus you see the birth of Ishmael, and still you see God be faithful to his people, and he continues to answer promises. And last week, or two weeks ago, we saw that he answered the promise of the birth of Isaac, and through Isaac, and through the covenant. Uh, through Isaac's lineage, we will see salvation and we will see a Messiah come. And that's where we find ourselves today. Today, um, we are in Genesis 22. I know normally um, we stand and we read, but what I want to do today, because of the, 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 the length and the importance of this passage, I want you to stay seated, but I want you to find a Bible. I want you to open up God's Word. I want us to work through each word and each phrase because there's so much beauty, so much intentionality in this passage. I'm just going to read it and exegete as as we go, and I hope that the Spirit can move. So let me pray over us, and then we're going to dive in Genesis 22. God, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the opportunity we have uh, just to call you king and to call you God. God, I pray that if there's anything that would be a burden or, or an obstacle or a distraction in, in our lives, 
for the next few minutes, if you could just pull that out, that the Spirit should come and the Spirit should move in us, that we see that your, your Word is living and true and, and is the one uh, inherent Word of God. I pray all things in your name. Amen. Alright, so we saw the birth of Isaac in chapter 21, and we saw um, the, the faithfulness that Abraham had, how, how Isaac was promised um, years, decades prior to his actual birth, but Abraham stayed faithful. He was not perfect, but he was faithful. Um, and that God uses faithful people. There's never been a perfect person outside of Christ. So every human that uh, God has ever used has been flawed, but they have been faithful. And we see that birth come and, and, and rejoice and how he, he, Christ doubles down on the, on the affirmation of through Isaac. I will uh, install my covenant. Ishmael will be his own people and he will be a large tribe and he will be a, a, a completely separate thing. But through Isaac, my covenant will go and through Isaac, my promises will be answered. So verse 1 in chapter 22, we see uh, the scripture read out. After these things, so after all of that had played out, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. So here's uh, a really big difference that you have to know from, from the very jump, is that God will test you, he will not tempt you. There is a vast difference. Satan tempts, God tests. God puts something before you that he has every ex expectation for you to meet, and that he does not put anything before you that you can't get through shoulder to shoulder with the Spirit and moving forward. God's never going to put something in your way so that you can fail in of itself. You may not accomplish it with what you think is worldly success, but he's not setting you up for failure in of itself. He's setting you up to be faithful. You see situations in the Bible that, that defy logic and reason. And the reason they, they, they defy logic and reason is because man can't do them on their own. Abraham couldn't do this on his own. But with the faith and, and the promise and the hope and the assurance of God, when God tests you, he's looking for faithful obedience. And you see that when Abraham says, here am I. And God said, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Morath and offer him as a burnt offering uh, one of on one of the mountains that I should tell you. So this has to be worst case scenario obedience for Abraham, right? It's easy for us to say this is just a story or this is just an end game. But that's because we know how Genesis 22 ends. Abraham doesn't. You have to put yourself in the first person here in Abraham. He has been called to be faithful. He's been faithful uh, since the very beginning to the next step to say, I don't understand the next step, but I'm taking a step forward. You've promised me to be a father of great nations but I don't even have a son, but I believe you, and I'm going to answer, answer with yes. I'm going to take a step forward in faithfulness. And you see the promise finally happen. There had to be a huge sigh off Abraham when he finally had Isaac. It was, it was not that he didn't believe God, but there's always something in, in the tangibleness of, of an answered promise. When you see, you promised me a son, now I have a son. And as soon as, as that son is grown and, and able, you see the next step of faithfulness. You see the next command where he says, take your only son. He like doubles down on, on the salt to the moon. Take your only son. He's already cast out Ishmael. He's already said Ishmael will be his own thing, but Isaac is, is going to be your lineage. So your only son that you love. 
and cast him as a burnt offering. Burnt offerings were a horrific way to die as an animal and as a human because you just didn't burn alive. That was part of it. But before you could uh, be burned alive, you had to be bloodletted. You had to be gutted. You had to be. You had to cast the blood out of you. The life force is what the burnt offering offering was consumed. So he was asked to first slaughter your son and then burn him. But what did Abraham do? So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of the young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So what we see here is a horrible fear of, of a father asks and said, I need you to be faithful to me. I am the sovereign God. I am the God of promises. I am the God of hope. I know that you think your whole hope and identity is locked into your male heir. I know this is where you perceive cultural power. This is where you see tribal power. The ways of the world will tell you Isaac is your saving grace. Through him, all of your lineage will be passed on. All of your inheritance will be passed on. Culturally and worldly, Isaac is everything to you. And I want to take everything you hope and love, and I want you to sacrifice it before the one true God. I want you to know that I'm God, and I want you to be aware of, of your faithfulness and the fact that I'm the only thing you should find hope in by sacrificing the thing you currently find hope in. And that rings with us, right? There's a lot of things that we hold hope in that aren't God. There's a lot of things that if we're honest with ourselves, we need to sacrifice to God. We need to say, I need to get this out of my life. I need to, I need to be rid of this because it's actually where I find hope instead of where I actually need to find hope, which is God. We need to lay this down at the altar so that we can put God in His rightful place, which is the throne of our heart. And you see, Abraham, rise early the next day. I don't know about you. I don't rise early the next day. I don't, I, I'm weak. I don't know if I even do this, but I can promise you I don't wake up the next morning to get a good start on the day. I don't, I don't say, you know what, I, don't, I can't even fathom this as a father. This is, this is why this story impacts me uh, so much. I don't know if there's an example of human faithfulness more powerful than Abraham and Isaac at the altar because you see a man of faith say, God is my hope and my promise and if he says something, I say yes. Regardless of the ramifications, regardless of the cultural norms, regardless of where I actually find hope, I know that my hope is in God. And you see Abraham play that out by saying, not only have you called me to be faithful, you've called me to be faithful with consequences. When God asks you to do something, he's, you have to say yes regardless of the side effect. And he knows the heartbreaking truth of what this story could end. This story could end with him absolutely childless, but still a faithful servant of God. So he rises early in the morning to complete the task. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his hand and the knife. Uh, so they went and both together. So he has, he has gathered the wood. He's gathered the knife. He's gathered the fire. He's gathered everything he needs for the sacrifice, for the burnt Offering. In verse 7, you see Isaac say to his father, My father, he said, here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both together. This has to be heartbreaking. Again, put yourself in Abraham's shoes. He, he's got the fire, he's got the wood, he's got the knife, he's got his son and they're heading up the mountain to do this and his son is starting to realize, hey we're missing something and I don't like how this is playing out. 
Like, I used to think this was a funny, like, a, a joke. I, when I read this, I used to think it was, like, uh, uh, almost comical where uh, Isaac um, uh, was saying, like, Hey, Dad, I'm not trying to be rude, but you've forgotten the sacrifice. And then Abraham's like, No, nah, I haven't. And, and now that I'm a father, it's actually the most heartbreaking part of this passage, that you have the pains of a father and a son who's saying, Hey, Dad, this isn't working out well. And Abraham's just saying, I, I don't have an answer for you. I'm not going to verbatim say you are the sacrifice. I'm just going to tell you God provides that's the only thing keeping me sane right now. And that's where you find reality of your life. There are going to be tasks that you're asked to do. There's going to be sacrifices you're asked to make. And the only thing that's going to get you through them is answering and saying out loud, God will provide. God will answer His promises with hope. God will answer His promises with love. He will answer His promises with peace. That doesn't mean your hands aren't going to get dirty. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have heartbreak. That doesn't mean that things aren't always going to work out the way you want. But as you see Abraham, almost, and I read this as a sense, this is, this is Tim putting his own take in it. This isn't exegesis. But this is Abraham saying, I don't have the words. I can't verbally say you're the sacrifice because it would break me. I'm just going to tell you the truth of what I believe, and that is that God will provide. And we have to own that. We have to actually believe it. We can't be a people who just knows that's how Bible stories go, that Sunday school stories of Isaac and Abraham just magically end up well and that we're just going to go to the beginning. We have to actually own, do we believe that we serve a God who actually answers promises? Verse 9, they came to the place that they had told him and Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. We see complete faith here. And I know this is really hard to read. This is a really uh, gritty passage because we see uh, the, the patriarch of the nation of Israel about to slaughter his only son at the will and the command of God. And it is a test of obedience. And he does not stay his hand. He does not stay his knife. Because here's what a lot of us do. A lot of us say, I'll get the wood, I'll get the fire, I'll get the knife. I have no intention of actually falling out the... The, uh, the act, because the act is too hard. So I'll prepare to be faithful. I'll pretend to be faithful. But when it's go time, we're not raising our knife for the slaughter. And, and that's, that's the difference between obedience and delayed disobedience. We see that a lot in Scripture where you say, I'm down to do your will until your will costs me something. And I'm, I'm willing to go to church every Sunday. I'm willing to go to men's Bible study or women's Bible study. I'm willing to do all of these things. I'm willing to, to, to get the wood up the, the mountain. I'm willing to get the fire up the mountain. I'm even willing to bring the knife. Because those things cost me nothing. Those things are just pomp and circumstance. That's me just going through the motions of faith. But when it comes time to actually raise our knife to Isaac, we say, whoa, 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 this cost me too much, I'm out. I'm on to the next church, I'm on to the next faith, I'm on to the next truth, because I'm not willing to actually sacrifice something that costs me anything. I just want to be uh, comfortable, I just want to be seen as faithful, I just want to be seen as, as a good person, but when it comes down to actually do work, we're never going to get our hands dirty. But Abraham, who is counted as faithful, raises his hand with his knife fully understanding when the knife comes down, he loses his son. Verse 11, But beautifully, but the angel of the Lord called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he, you see the name back to back, which means it is go time. Abraham is not just making some pompous uh, circumstance, like I'm just, gonna make, I'm just waiting. 
Anytime now, like that's not what's happening. You see the, the angel of the Lord yell his name with, with, with exclamation point back to back, understanding an urgency because Abraham is faithful to the next step and the next step is death. He says, Abraham, Abraham. And, he, and Abraham faithfully answers, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And that's what being faithful is about. Are you absolutely willing to withhold nothing from God? Because He's going to call you to do something beautiful. He's going to call you to do something for the will of God, for the growth of His church, for the, for the betterment of your family. He's going to call you to do something that's going to be really hard. But the only way you're actually going to get through it is to withhold nothing. You have to have reckless abandonment. You have to have no moderation. And I, when I say no moderation, don't mishear me. I'm talking about your faith with God. When it comes to actually putting your 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 lock and step with God, there could be no moderation. Moderation is the way of the world. Moderation is for cowards. The world will tell you, you can be a pretty good Christian and a pretty good person or a worldly person and you can fake it long enough that nobody will actually notice. But an actual faith says we need radical commitment, radical faith, radical dependence Dependence on God to actually accomplish what God has called us to do. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. We see the birth of penal substitution or substitutionary atonement. Those are really uh, common words in, in Bible college or seminary where it means something had to die that day, and instead of Isaac, it was a lamb. That is some beautiful foreshadowing because the absolute truth about sacrifices is that we need blood. And up until the Messiah, they needed the blood of bulls and goats and birds. But at some point, the blood of goats and bulls wasn't going to cut it anymore. And we needed eternal blood from a perfect lamb. And that's where we see Jesus. All of this is foreshadowing. All of this is pointing you to the cross. Because we deserve to be on the cross. It was our blood that was, that was acquired because it was our sin, but our blood wouldn't cut it. So we had a Messiah that came and sacrificed himself for us for a debt he did not owe. And he was sacrificed for a sin he did not commit. The same as this ram. This ram did nothing other than just be in the wrong place at the wrong time and it died. But it was a beautiful example of substitutionary atonement. It's a beautiful example of saying, hey, this burnt offering is going to happen one way or another. Someone's blood is going to spill. And I'm allowing this lamb's blood to spill in lieu of Isaac. And he named that place the Lord will provide, as it is said in that day, on the mount of the Lord, and it shall be provided. Verse 15, let me finish this up quick. And the, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring, and as the stars of heaven, and as the sand uh, that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall, shall pass, uh, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemy. Verse 18, this is the most beautiful part. And in your offspring shall all nations on the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. He's talking about Christ Jesus. He's talking about the lineage of Isaac will lead to Jacob, will lead to the tribe of Israel, 
will lead uh, to David, will lead to the lineage of David, and will lead to our promised Messiah through Isaac's bloodline, through Isaac's heritage. You will see a promised Savior. You will see the ultimate lamb for the ultimate sacrifice. The blood of bulls would not cut it. So we see the Messiah promised here today is going to bless all nations. Christ died for all sin. He atoned for all sin. All we have to do is have faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior, and we are saved. So we covered a lot. That was Genesis 22. That was um, the beautiful example of faith. That was um, the the epicenter for me on, on... Wow, I don't understand that kind of faith. I, I am a father. I have, I have uh, a son. I have a, a daughter. I have another child coming. There's a lot going on in the Roundtree family. We're in a season of transition. Um, but the idea of God calling me to do something that hard blows my mind and breaks me. And I just pray daily um, that when something that hard is laid before me, that I may have the faith to just say yes, yes. Faith doesn't mean you have to understand it. Faith doesn't mean you have to completely cope with it. Faith doesn't mean that um, you're going to see the end result or see the end game. Faith says that I understand I serve a God of promises. I serve a God who provides. Now I'm just going to say yes to the next step. It would be fallacy for us to just think that Abraham had some supernatural power. And it's easy for us, and it kind of gives us an out if we believe that. If we believe that Abraham had some weird spiritual gift that we don't possess, or that, that Abraham was a supernatural being that just was stronger and tougher and faith had more faith because of those attributes, that, that, that one does an injustice to Abraham, but it does an injustice to God. Abraham was faithful. He wasn't perfect. This isn't like the LeBron James uh, syndrome where there's no way I can dunk like LeBron, so I'm just going to idolize him. I'm going to put him up on a pedestal knowing that I'll never actually be that, but I'm just going to ascribe him the worth of someone who's that bald. I remember growing up in college, me and LeBron at the same age, and I remember looking at him and being like, there's no way a human can be this good, and then watching him and be like, I guess there is. Or the Tiger Woods complex where you're just like, man, that guy's been good since he's 12. And it's easy for us um, to idolize people. Our society is set up for us to idolize people. Um, it's, there's, there's so many people who are famous purely because they're famous because the rest of us like to idolize them. We like the way they look, the way, like the way they dress, we like the way they act, we want to follow them, we like their life, we like their vibes, and we're going to put them in, on a pedestal knowing that we can never reach it. And we do that a lot with the characters of the Bible, and that is completely wrong and exactly where Satan wants you. Satan wants you to think that Abraham was supernatural and had some crazy power that God would never give us. But the truth is, Abraham was a broken man. Abraham to be pretended to be the, the brother of his wife like three times and I'm not even sure how he faded that. I couldn't pull that off once without it being like a come to Jesus meeting and he did that numerous times just because he didn't want to catch a beating or death. He was willing to dishonor his family and just dishonor his wife so purely because he didn't want to catch a beating from the warring nations. He wasn't perfect. He was faithful. And that's what God rewards. There is no perfect person. We are all broken with sin but God is yearning to, 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 to see us act in complete faith. We see uh, in Hebrew, faith described uh, more beautifully than I could ever do it. Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For it by it... 
For by it, the people of old received their commandments. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that it is seen and was not made of things that are visible but invisible. We see by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith the people of God, by faith the people in the Bible said yes to the call of God, and He sustained them each and every step. It doesn't mean that they understood what they are saying yes to. And a lot of times in 2019, we need understanding. We need education. I have to understand what I'm saying yes to before I can say yes. That's the opposite of faith. You have to remember that Abraham never saw the nation of Israel. Moses never lived in Canaan. Right? We have so many people. John the Baptist never saw Christ rise again. We have so many people who are just faithful to the process, knowing that they're not going to see the end result, but that they serve a sovereign God, so they don't have to see the end result. They have to just be part of His plan. And that's where I want Trinity Church today. I don't know what the future holds for Trinity Church, Oak Cliff. I pray it's decades and de decades of faithful service. That's where I hope and that's what I pray for. But I can't guarantee you, but I need you to be faithful to the steps right now. God needs you to be faithful where you're at and where He's called you to right now. You may never see the end result and you may never understand it and that doesn't mean it's not important to be faithful and that doesn't mean it's not important to say yes to our Savior. Half measures are the way of the world. Satan wants you half committed to your faith. Satan wants you half committed to your family. Satan wants you half committed to this church because Satan knows if he can get you divided, he can destroy you. And if Abraham did anything, and we see this a lot with Abraham and Lot. I love, like, I didn't, I didn't understand a while, for a while uh, growing up and then even in, in college when you're studying, like, why is Lot there? Lot doesn't make a lot of sense other than, like, it tells you, like, everybody's got a cousin that gets them in trouble, and Abraham does too. That's all I got. That's the only laugh I've gotten today was Abraham Lot joke. You're a tough group, man. I get it. It's the summer. Everybody's tired. Give me something. But I never understood Lot. I never completely comprehended Lot. Until and really, I don't think I fully um, uh, uh, comprehended Lot's importance until uh, Jamin spoke a few months ago and and broke it down and saying Lot's a good depiction of it is extremely hard to say yes to the next step if you're not where God wants you to be, but it is easier to say yes to the next step if you're inside the will of God. If you see Abraham being faithful, if you see Abraham saying I don't understand the process, you've promised me to be a father of nations that I, I, I will never see and won't understand, but I'm faithful to it, then I will say yes, I will say yes, I will say yes. But you see Lot continually making the wrong decision, continually finding himself in the Jordan Valley, finding him kind of close to Sodom, finding himself inside Sodom, finding himself leading his family into sin. And you see that, and it is almost impossible for Lot to do the U-turn. He can't say yes to the next step because he's nine steps away from faithfulness. He's nine steps away from the will of God, so that next step doesn't make a lot of sense to him. But you see Abraham inside the will of God, and the next step doesn't necessarily make sense, but he understands that God's providing because God will provide and he's seen it. Whereas Lot has surrounded himself with sin, and the next step doesn't make any sense. And it's hard. And that's where we find ourselves a lot today, that we are so outside of the will of God, we can't even hear the call of God. We can't, even, we can't even understand the plan of God because we are so far removed from His will and His faith that we don't, we don't understand where we're supposed to be. 
That's one of the reasons, um, one of the many reasons that we're doubling down in June for just a lot of corporate prayer, a lot of teaching on prayer. That's why the women have committed to pray uh, for this church and for these people in the, in the month of June and in the summer because I want us to be about God's business. I want us to be about God's will. And I want us to find that out. And we can't find that out if we're not communing with God. We can't find out what God uh, wants for us if we're not studying God's Word and commuting with our Savior. If you don't use the Spirit and walk with the Spirit and ask the Spirit to God, ask the Spirit to come and ask the Spirit to move, then the Spirit won't do any of those things. You have to be faithful to the next step. And a lot of times, being faithful to the next step means you have to act. Real faith moves. Real faith acts. In James, we see that where he says, if faith is not uh, accompanied with works, it is dead. And I pray um, that for Trinity Church, our faith is never viewed as dead faith, that we are always accompanied with action, that we are always taking the next step of faithfulness to where God has called us. I'm really excited. Um, about what the summer has to store. I'm really excited about our, our month of emphasis on prayer, and I pray that it starts a, a rhythm and a, a consistency where we understand the importance of prayer, um, where we understand that it is sustainable. We don't pray to get something answered. We pray to know a God. And that that is, that is the truth that's imparted on us. I'm excited as we work through Scripture this summer. I'm excited as we start um, just communing in, in the Bible and in the book of Hebrews and see what God has in store for us. God, uh, I'm going to pray over us as the worship team comes up. I'm, I'm really thankful uh, for the opportunity we've had to walk through Genesis as a group. And I pray that the truths and the doctrines have imp impacted you the way they have impacted me. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to call you king. God, I'm thankful uh, for the, the, the life that you've blessed us with and the truth and, and the, the church that you've blessed us with. And I know that things look crazy in the world and things look insane in the world. And there are a lot of people uh, pretending to have answers and solutions, but the real solution is the truth of the Savior. God, I pray um, that no matter what we do in our weeks, that we point others to Christ, we point our families to Christ, we point our children to Christ, and we point uh, our loved ones to Christ. I pray all things in your name. Amen. Amen.